Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you. Uh, just some things to be excited about today. You know, we got our children back in the house. Uh, we were able to get enough workers, which was great. We still have some gaps, but we were able to get enough that we were able to open uh, fully for every age group. And uh, so very, very thankful for the many volunteers that uh, made that decision. And so, again, they, there are several of these holes that are only filled for the next two weeks. And so we're going to need uh, some new uh, people to come in and keep signing up. So please consider that as part of it. You also heard the announcement earlier about uh, Gateway, our theological training course with our denomination, Evangelical Free Church of America. Our facilitator is Pastor Dave Martin, who was the founding and longtime pastor at the Evangelical Free Church in Hershey. And I served under him for six years. Uh, one of the most godly men I've, I've known uh, is truly a mentor in my life, and I'm excited for him to invest in some of our people. So I hope you'll consider uh, getting involved in something that will take you more deeply into the theological understanding and as to why we are the way we are as a church. Having said that, we are now in a new season of where we're going, starting a new series, and it's in the book of John. And so if you uh, have a Bible with you, there, there's already been Bibles passed out, but uh, we're going to be in the book of John today, and we're going to be so for the next 13 weeks. And the title of our series is Encounter. And the reason for that is that when you think about the term encounter, you usually use that term in light of a moment that either forever changed your perspective, perhaps even forever changed your life, but certainly an encounter is a moment that will be marked. It, it, there is before the encounter, the way things were, and then there's post the encounter. We even named our prayer room encounter here uh, that's on my back, my left, out the side there. And that's where we want people to encounter God. So if they need a place to talk with somebody else or to pray, that they can go to the encounter room and have that moment that is forever marked. Not all encounters are spiritual, but in light of our context, the encounters I'm going to speak of were deeply spiritual. One encounter that in particular marked me was a moment where I was leading a team of people. It was in my first year here at LAFC, and I'd taken a team of people that were considering making Aurora Primary School uh, a more significant part of their church's mission. And uh, Aurora Primary School is a boarding school for children uh, that live in what we would call shanty towns. And uh, so they're a little bit disadvantaged and they get to go to the school, they hear about Jesus, uh, they get to be taught. They're also, they ha they're able to, you know, have clothes and, and jerseys as they call them, their uniform, and then they're fed. And then most of all, the name of Christ is sown deep into their hearts. And so I was leading a team of people to experience that ministry. And, uh, and I had been involved with it since 2008. And this is now 2012. And, uh, and so as part of that trip, we did what I usually do when I take a team to South Africa. I take them on a game drive uh, and see the animals that you wouldn't see in Pennsylvania State Parks. At least you wouldn't want to see these animals in Pennsylvania State Park. And so we go on these game drives and, you know, the object is to drive through this vast safari land and, and being able to see the, the, the animals in their natural habitat. And, and so occasionally you see things that are not common. You know, they're, they're normal, but they're not common to the eye because they're not usually captured. And such a moment happened in 2012. I shared this story several years ago, uh, but this matters today because this particular encounter truly changed me and marked me. You see what happened is we're driving along one of those roads that cuts through the safari land. And in this particular spot, there was heavy brush on both sides of the road. You couldn't see to the right, couldn't see to the left other than the brush itself. But there were many cars parked in all kinds of different ways and they're all looking to the right and they're pointing and some of those vehicles are higher up and they're looking down and you could see the camera lenses and boom lenses trying to capture what's off to the right. And then 
eventually we started noticing that everybody in front of us begins to motion our way. Now up to this point, we've waited 15 minutes or so, and we're feeling very frustrated by the fact that we can see nothing and everybody else seems to see whatever this is. And so we're left there trying to figure it out, but now we're getting like, this is precious time. We only have a day to do this safari drive. So all of a sudden, people begin to point at us and make all these gestures of uh, something significant is our direction, but we can't see anything. Well, then all of a sudden, cutting through the brush to my right, I'm on the, on the right side of the vehicle, which was where you drive from, and all of a sudden, coming through the brush, which was only about 10 feet from my window, was a male lion, and it came right up to my window, and this is what I saw. Imagine a male lion looking through your window close enough where the breath of the lion was steaming up my window with every breath. That's how close it was. And seeing into the pupils of the eyes, no sound was being made by the five of us that were in that vehicle. Nothing. So quiet. Probably about 10 seconds, it just stayed there staring into the window and right into my eyes. And then it slowly turned, walks to the back of the vehicle, and then into the brush on the other side of the road. Just as that moment was ending, another male lion, another full adult male lion comes out. This one just kind of comes out of our car and just keeps moving and walks around. So we've now seen face-to-face with two male lions. Then a mother lion comes out with a couple of cubs and walks right towards our vehicle and walks around, and then eventually the last cub walks into the brush. Again, silence had been the measure of the moment. But when that last cub disappeared, the things that came out of the mouths of each of us in that room was nothing but praise for God Almighty. When you come encounter with something that is so majestic in creation, you are left with just your breath has been taken, and the only thing that could come to the mouths of each of us there was praise to God. Now that might seem strange to you until you've had a moment like that where you come encounter with something created that is so majestic that the only thing that can come out of your mouth is praise to the Creator. It marked me, and I will not forget it. Another moment that marked me, there was an encounter with God that, again, still to this day, hits me deep in my heart. And it was this moment where we were leading worship at that school, and this was in 2010. I have my family on that team. And as part of that team, my son, who at the time was eight years old, was leading the worship with guitar. A song that we were singing was called, I'm Still Yours by Cutlass. This song says, if I lost it all, would my hand stay lifted to the God who gives and takes away? If you take it all, this life you've given, still my heart will sing to you. The reason why this moment was very profound to me is because sitting right in front of me was a girl who had just returned to the school after recovering from a car accident of which she was the only survivor. Her family was in the car with her and she lost them all. And when that phrase, would my hands still be lifted to the God who gives and takes away, and this life you've given, still my heart sings to you. With trembling arms, I watched this girl who had lost everything lift her hands, and she took over singing the song that she had never heard before. She's the girl that's in the back center of this group. Why did that moment mark me? Because very few of us can claim to have lost as much as she has lost. And yet, how often do we complain to the God who gives and takes away? How often do we 
get angry. We stop worshiping. In that moment, I realized I've never lost as much as she's lost. And she's able to still lift her hands to the God who gives and takes away. How can I keep my hands down? How can I stop singing when it's been simply a rough day? For her, it had been a rough life. It was an encounter that forever marked me. And now the encounter is shared with you. Many other encounters have happened in my life that teach me different things about God. He's taught me that he still has the power to do the miraculous. It's very easy to go through this life and assume that the stories of the Old and New Testament are left there and that God just simply quit. The reality is he's still doing miracles. It's also true that many of us might come into that despondency when coming to prayer. I can tell you at different encounters and have shared at different points of moments where prayers were prayed and God revealed that he was answering those prayers. Once again, marking me. Don't believe the doubt you feel that God's not hearing you. And God, every once in a while, just provides that profound moment, that encounter that says, he's still listening and he's still moving. I have had encounters where, where God literally is, is speaking into situations where there is undoubtedly a divine moment that can, that can only be declared as supernatural that God is speaking. But again, encounters have taught me that. Encounters have taught me that the lives that were changed in the scriptures that you see where the, as they encountered God or they encountered the Son of God, lives were transformed. About the time I think that maybe I'm getting discouraged, and let me tell you, preaching to an empty room was not fun over those three months. But you wonder, is God even changing lives in such a season as that? Only to be involved with people as they're getting ready to be baptized and them telling how God worked in their life during that season of time. Then I realize in those encounters, God is still working and changing lives. Encounters are great teachers. And encounters are known to be divine in God because we have the word of God that tells you his character, tells you his mode of operation so that we know that it aligns with the character and heart of God and we don't ascribe something to God that is not his because we have the written word. And without the word of God, my spirit would have been discouraged over the last six months. Without the word of God, I wouldn't have known how to speak into such a situation. Without the word of God, I wouldn't know how to interpret the current context. But because of the word of God, I believe we all can stand with confidence that God is still sovereign. And God was not thwarted by the last several months. And God is wanting to see his church rise up with confidence and shine the light of his son before others. Encounters inspire us and mark us and forever change our minds and our operations because once you've experienced them, you're marked. And it teaches you something again and anew that we've seen in the word of God. Do you need a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ? Do you need a fresh encounter with the father of the universe. John is going to share encounters with us. Over the next 13 weeks, the apostle John shares what he saw happen on a daily basis when people encountered the living God made flesh. And how it marked them, changed them, and change the trajectory and direction of their lives. And as a part of those encounters, reveals anew the heart of God and the intent of the Messiah so that we would not misconstrue his purposes. So we are now going to pursue over the next 13 weeks these encounters so that we can afresh and anew be fall in love with the Son of God like never before. Will you pray and commit yourself along with me 
to these weeks. God, we know that your word is complete. We know that your word tells us what we need to know about your heart as manifested through your son. And may, as we encounter the scriptures referring to him and and the encounters between him and other people that reveal more about who he is and his purpose, may that change us. May we fall in love with him more each week and each day. So may all that is spoken from this podium in the next few weeks be rightly and dividing the word of truth, speaking with the love and passion that is deserved when speaking of your son. I pray in that son's name. Amen. John 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, John knows his audience. He is writing this several years after Jesus had been walking this earth. He knew his audience. He knew that they were looking and longing for who was the Messiah. They wanted to understand the fulfillment of all that had been written throughout Scripture is indeed the Messiah, somebody that had lived in their lifetime. Because his audience at that point were contemporaries of all that had happened in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts we know. But as John begins, he starts with the context by which all Hebrew students would have understood and known when reading his words, what they were connected to. When he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and everything was created through him, and the light that is shining now, that was shining through darkness, has never overcome it. He is speaking about a who, in light of the first five verses of the book of scriptures. We know it as the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The law, as written by Moses, led by the Holy Spirit from God. Now consider what the first five verses of the Torah actually says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, let's combine and look at these two passages together. They both begin with, in the beginning. In the Genesis account, in the beginning was God, the creator. And what does he create to start? He creates light, and he separates it from darkness. But there was no sun, S-U-N. And there was no moon or stars for the night. That comes afterwards. So this light that it speaks of is clearly sourced from God. Now, for the Hebrew studier that knows and understands that from the first five verses of Genesis, they now see in the first five verses of this, uh, of this gospel, John, he says, in the beginning was the word. 
capitalize. And this word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him everything was created. And this word was the light. This word was the light and darkness could not overcome it. It was completely separated because the light was sourced from God. So John begins with a revolutionary statement of saying, the light that we've always been taught, where before the sun existed, the sun, S-O-N, is now the source of that light by which light comes into the world. This light is now what is going to be spoken of by John. But he wants the Hebrew under, uh, studier to understand that this light is from God and is God. And we know him as the word. Now the living word brings life and light to mankind. That's what he's ultimately saying in this text. That this life was found in the son of God. This word and it becomes the light that shows to all mankind. So the living word, the word brings life and light to all of us. Now it's important to kind of parse that a little bit here. The divine word, this understanding of the term capital W-O-R-D, word, is in and of itself masterful. Think about it. We would not know that the word sounds like word unless every one of those characters has definition. W, we know what it sounds like. O, we know what it sounds like. We know what R sounds like. And D, and when you put that all together, it sounds like word because each one of them has a definition when you put it together it creates a new definition a fuller one and then when you put that word in the midst of a sentence it creates even more understanding and it builds upon itself but at the source of every sentence and at the source of every character a word is formed and it conveys a truth it conveys an authority. W is W. O is O. R is R. And D is D. That's what they are. And if in the Greek, it would be logos. And every one of those terms has its definition. But as a word conveys truth and authority and provides understanding and can even give direction when put within context, so too the living word, the word, conveys the truth, conveys the highest of authority, conveys the most understanding that can be attained, and gives the direction and purpose for life. That is why it is not a small thing to say that the Son of God is the alpha, the first letter, and the last letter, the omega, and everything in between. He encompasses all that defines this earth. He is the source of it. And his pre-existence with God enables that we can then know who God is by studying the living word who is among us. He is the creator God. This again would not be lost. That You're saying this word, this person you're speaking of. Because again, he's not identified the person yet. He keeps saying in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. This word created everything. And he is the one that makes life happen. And gives life anew. That's what this story is going to be about. And so John wants his writers to understand, his readers to understand that I am speaking of someone who is the author of life and will give you life to the full. But then he speaks to the light. The first thing of all creation. Up to this moment, we don't know how much discussion was spoken of in regards to the light that happens on day one. Where is its source other than God himself? So for this opportunity, John is saying that light is the Messiah, is the Christ, is the one that is the living word. He is that light that was in the beginning that gave light before there was a son, S-U-N. 
And as a result of him being the light, darkness cannot win. It cannot be quenched. Verse 5, it will not overcome this light. It can't because the light is the source of all that exists. So it reveals purpose and it reveals hope. Continuing on, John is now giving more context. He's made a huge theological statement that God was now somebody that was seen. So you see the creator God has now come as the living word and you see it. So this divine being that he's now speaking of, he's going to give testimony to it in verses six, seven, and eight, referring to another John, John the Baptist, a contemporary, again, of people who are living at this time, but John the Baptist was no longer alive for he had lost his life for the cause. So verse 6, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came as only a witness to the light. So the apostle John is now speaking of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, again, the Hebrew scholar, the Hebrew studier, somebody that would have grown up under that teaching of the Tanakh would know and understand that there was going to be a forerunner prior to the Messiah. Somebody would come before and his job was to explain who was about to come. To say, prepare yourself, the Messiah is coming. And so for John the Baptist, he was the one that came and said, the light is coming. The light is coming. I'm not that light, but he's coming. Prepare yourself so that you do not miss it. So John the apostle acknowledges that the light was first talked about being connected to the Messiah by John the Baptist himself, the forerunner. So it would not be lost upon the Hebrew scholar that he is speaking to. Now, the person he is talking about is indeed the Messiah, the Christ. And that his forerunner was John the Baptist. Continuing with the theme, light, as a definition and a descriptor of the word who became flesh. He says in verse 9, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Hmm. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the child of God or children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of a human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now, this is really important theology, or Christology, if you will, is that, first of all, you have this statement that this true light came to the world for all to see. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't limited. It was for all to see. So the light is for all to see, but the question is, did they believe it? You have a forerunner in John the Baptist saying, he's coming. He will be the light. Be ready, be prepared. Then the light shows up and reveals through power and authority, both in teaching and word and action. But did they believe? But it is also said that this light, again, is for all to receive, to see, but did they receive it? You see, in verse 7, it says that he came, and even though he was the source of all that has life and breath, not everybody then believed. It is also true that even some of those who believed didn't receive. And so as it says at the end of verse 12, for those who believe that he is the light, that he is the Son of God, that he is the one by which all things are created, and he is the one that is going to provide life for all that has breath, you still must receive it. You still must receive it. For it's those who believe and receive who will become a child of God. 
Now, what's the difference between believing and receiving? A few weeks ago, I was at Ocean City, Maryland. And along the boardwalk, there's several activities that you can do down there. One of the activities that you can do is get into this two-man cage of which there's all kinds of metal around it and, and these two cockpit-type styled seats with two expansions that were clearly stretched to their full and it was locked into a lockdown at the base with a, what looked like about a 50 to 70-foot uh, tower on each side. So basically, it's a little cage that when they release it at the bottom, it shoots you up in the air more than 100 feet. Looks pretty impressive. And I was with a, a family there, and there were some younger children, and one of them was like, do you think that thing's safe? And I looked at him with all the confidence in the world. Oh, yeah, it's safe. But did I receive it? Do you think I got into that cockpit seat? Cockpit seat? And let myself be shot 100 feet into the air. No. Now, they were passing it off when they asked, like, when I said, oh, it's absolutely safe. And, of course, they did what a child usually does. Are you going to go on it? I looked at them, and I had a very quick out. I said, it's $50. That's kind of expensive for a very short, quick thrill. Oh, yeah, that's, that's really fast. And I'm thinking, Whew. Because I didn't want to be called out. If somebody gave me $50 to say, hey, I want to see you do this. I'm not sure. I would have allowed myself to be shot 100 feet into the air so quickly. You see, it's one thing to believe it was safe. And I did. I fully believe it's safe. I was watching people do it over and over. I believe it. But it's another thing to allow myself to get into one of those cockpit chairs and entrust myself to the operators of it, to the designers of it, to the engineering of it, and say, you take control, I'm letting go. Now, how many of you would admit you would have had a hard time getting into that cockpit seat? All right, how many of you say, oh, that would have been no problem for me? All right, there's the liars in the room, like, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. No, I, I believe you, I believe you. I, I believe many here would. And, and there was probably a day I would have been there, but I would have probably broke out in a sweat if I was called out and somebody handed me the $50 to do it. But nonetheless, you get the point. The reason why, even though I had a lot of belief that that would be safe, but the difference was that, again, I can believe it, but I wasn't willing to let control happen in somebody else's hands. It's just... Fact. There's a part of trust that comes with it. There's a lot of things that all of us can see and believe it to be true, but it's another thing to entrust yourself to that thing that you believe in. The same is true. Imagine those who were contemporaries of this time. They had seen the miracles done by the Son of God, the living Word. They had seen the powerful teaching, but not all received. They could believe that he was holy. They could even believe that he was indeed the son of God. I mean, some of them saw this person be baptized. And here, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. But in the, the day, you can believe that it's the Messiah. You can believe that indeed he is the son of God. But do you receive him? Do you entrust yourself to him? Do you relinquish control and say he is going to be my leader and my Lord. You see, that journey of going from belief when you've had an encounter and you realize what you're seeing is indeed real. It's another thing to go from that encounter of belief to saying, I entrust myself. I receive it and I will live according to it. John is very clear before somebody would get prideful enough to say, oh, I would follow him. I would receive it. John makes sure that you understand somebody who truly believes and receives didn't get there by human will. Look at verse 13. It says, these children that are going to become children of God because they believed and received, they are not born of natural descent nor of human decision. Or of a husband's will. In other words, a, a patriarch over an entire family can't decide it for you. This is not sourced in anything human, but born of God alone. It's a work of God. 
To come from a place of belief only to a place of reception is a, is a work and journey where God helps the human heart receive that which is very difficult to hold on to. It's called grace. It's called grace. Not a work of our own. It's a work of God that we didn't deserve. Now John gets very personal in verse 14. You see, up to this point, he is helping give context to the Hebrew learner and, underst and scholar. And, and, and so as a result, they're understanding the connection between Genesis and now John, this book, these first five verses, and understanding that the light being talked about isn't just the light of God. It's the light of God that's here on this earth, and it's the Messiah he's speaking about. Verse 14 says this, the word became flesh. The word became flesh. So this divine being that's been with God and is God from the beginning by which all things have been made has also been incarnate, has become flesh. The word became flesh and what John says, and he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So Paul, or John here, gives a testimony that this word that he's speaking of, that is God, has now been made flesh and dwelled among them. And he saw it. I mean, think about it. John, for three years, had access to Jesus. He knew how Jesus handled his mornings. He knew how Jesus handled his evenings. He knew how Jesus handled difficult people. He knew how Jesus handled when somebody would try to deter him from his mission. He knew how Jesus handled moments of sorrow. He knew how Jesus handled celebration. He knew it all because he had seen it happen. And now he says, this word that became flesh dwelled among us. I saw how he lived. And as a result, I saw the glory of God. Which, in essence, is what he's saying is, I have seen God with my very own eyes. Those are words that could get John killed. He's saying, I, for three years, watched God at work. I watched God in the flesh. I watched God live out a life that I have never seen lived out before. I now understand what was meant in the garden in Genesis 1 for how mankind was to live. I've now seen it lived out in the flesh. And as a result, I've seen the glory of God. And he says, I'm forever changed forever changed. This encounter, a three-year encounter made up of multiple encounters, has defined for him what the light looks like as it reveals the light of God's heart and it removed all darkness. So now there's no mystery as to the heart of God or the character of God. It's been lived out, it's been seen, and now we see and understand the glory of God. And he wants you to hear it. And understand it and receive it as he had received it. Who is this word that declares that he is the son of God? If you notice, I have not said the name yet. That's because John has not. He has said he is the word. He is the living word. He is the word made flesh. He is the light of man. He is the life and light of mankind. And he will bring grace and truth. But he has not said his name yet because he's building the picture before he declares who he is. And if you look at verse 17, you will see it. it says, for the law was given through Moses. Those first five books, the Torah. The law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The Messiah is Jesus. Yeshua, the source of salvation. There's no mystery who he's speaking of now. 
Because he's declared that Jesus is the living word. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the source of all authority and definition and understanding that is accessible to mankind now through the written word. And he is the light that by which all things were lit before the sun ever existed. S-U-N. And then, now, he provides the meaning for life, the direction for life, the example for life. And he provides that through the light of the way he lived. And he, therefore, is the source by which grace can happen. The work of God, being born of God, the grace he speaks of is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the source of all truth. Do you believe and receive? I asked you at the beginning of this message, are you ready for a fresh encounter with God? Are you ready with, for a fresh encounter with God? If you want a fresh encounter with God, it comes through his son, Jesus. Jesus is the source by which all truth comes. He is the one who can do the change that is spoken of here, that is a work of God, that is by grace alone. It's only through Jesus. That name caused demons to leave. That name caused people to walk. That name caused people to choose a different direction and to go in a way that brought glory to God. That name is still the one that is changing lives today. That name is the only way by which we can find reconciliation with the creator God. That name is the light and life of all mankind. And that name is the word made flesh we know him as Jesus. Jesus. Will you pray with me? God, I know that some here in this room came. They believe. They may have even received historically. But they've gone along the road and they're in need of a fresh encounter because somewhere along the line, they've become self-reliant. They've forgotten the grace they've received. And they're relying upon your mercy now by the ignorance of the way we've lived. God, would you not work in their hearts now and give them a new encounter just by saying the name Jesus, the power of that name, Lord, do a new work. Give us new encounters. Teach us about Jesus anew and cause us to be leaning in more than ever so that we can be then the light of the world as Jesus asks us to do, as him being the source of that light. So teach us anew. Teach our heart. And if somebody came in not being a child of God today, and needs to come to that place of believing and receiving, would you work in their heart and not let them leave this space without you bringing them to a rebirth of knowing that they are now a child of God. I pray to that end in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and participate with this song which declares that name?
Paul had an encounter that he didn't expect. You see, he was enraged and angry that somebody didn't align with the way he understood Scripture. And so he became enraged and going after this movement called the way. It was called that way because their leader, Jesus Christ, said that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can get to the Father. No one can be reconciled to the Father except through him. 
Paul didn't care for that message. And as a result, he ended up being and overseeing the first martyr in the name of Christ. He killed Stephen. He arrested others, and others lost their lives as a result. And Paul was rising through the ranks. Then he had his encounter on the way to Damascus. Jesus revealed himself to him and said, Why are you persecuting me, Paul? Paul became blind and for several days had to consider those words. And then slowly was taught understanding from Ananias to him as to all the things that Paul had studied growing up all those years pointed to this moment. He had just missed it. And now God was going to have him be the one to be a primary messenger of that name, Jesus Christ. It was Paul who accounted for this statement when he said, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is indeed Lord. The question is, will you make that statement with your mouth while you have life and breath on this earth? Or will you do it when it's too late, when you pass from this earth and you realize that Jesus is who he said he was? And you go into eternal judgment from that point on. You see, there will be a moment by which every knee will bow and acknowledge who Jesus is. But for those who do so with life and breath, where they believe in who he is and they receive him, realizing that he is worthy of our trust and, and, and giving our life to, making him our Lord, it says that we become his children. We become a child of God. That's the story we want those who are hearing this message to be as a child of God. So it's been my prayer that today and for this series that children will fall in love with their Father God more and more and with their Savior and Lord Jesus like never before. That new encounters will come and for many also to encounter Jesus for the first time and call him Lord. I've given some discussion questions that can happen for those of you at home right now. And for those of you that are here in this room, you can go home and later today find them on our website. But it talks about basically, when was your encounter with Jesus? Have you had one? And sharing that moment and what was significant about it. And then ultimately, explaining the difference between believing and receiving because your life depends on it. So, as I send you out these doors, I pray that you will go out and have an encounter with Jesus and that others will encounter Jesus through you. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless.